0: The Walk the Mile podcast is produced on Gadigal land. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which Skeg Stalinghurst stands, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to elders past and present. May our reconciliation be an ongoing process of love and compassion. Hello everyone, I'm Gary Lee Lindsay, school chaplain at Skeggs Darlinghurst, and you're listening to Walk the Mile, a podcast that opens up conversations that we need to have. Hello everybody and welcome to Walk the Mile. This episode uh, is again being recorded during lockdown, so can't kind have of face-to-face, but I'm lucky enough I can see her face, <laughs> to see the face of one of our old girls, our ex-students, Julia Fraser. What year did you finish, Julia?
1: I finished in 2013, as is on the back of my school jersey.
0: Yeah, she's actually wearing um, a school jersey at the moment, very loyal.
1: Yes, bit embarrassing at the moment to wear a, a 13 jacket out. People can sort of see how how old I am. really gives <laughs> the game away.
0: Fair enough. So you finished in 2013. Your two sisters came here as well. You're, you're, you're in the middle.
1: I am in the middle. Yep. My younger sister finished in 2017, I think, so a bit more recently.
0: That's right. And what, what have you been doing since then?
1: I have been studying philosophy. I spent a good while studying philosophy, uh, bachelor of arts at the University of Sydney, and I have recently finished that and um, doing bits and bobs, you know, various uh, bits of employment. My favorite thing uh, that I do is is a philosophy club.
0: Your favorite thing?
1: Of my yeah, I really love it. I That's really love it. Great to hear. Yeah
0: and you you do that here at Skeggs, don't you
1: i do i do do that at skegs i i love it it's an amazing opportunity um studying philosophy is amazing and teaching it is uh really really cool or it's not i understand that it's not teaching on the level of what teachers do um because i have a lot of freedom to uh go where the class takes me and there's no curriculum and um there's always really i'm i'm always being amazed by the depth of thought that the students have it's yeah right
0: so what, yeah, what happens me. in philosophy club how how if i was to walk into philosophy club what would i see
1: depends on the week really uh lots of things there's a whole range of students of different ages uh young as year seven and occasionally we have year 12 so they often they're really uh very busy with the hsc which i understand um and we talk about really things from across the board in philosophy. So ethics, aesthetics, so what's beautiful, metaphysics, what's real, epistemology, what can we know? Uh, And usually uh, we do the things that I've planned, but occasionally the girls have so many questions about a particular area that we really open up to a a class discussion or uh, maybe small group discussion. And, yeah, it's really... uh, It's an exciting time, a fun time, I think.
0: It's great. How do you teach philosophy to a bunch of teenage girls?
1: (laughs) Um, How do you teach philosophy to a bunch of teenage girls? Well, you really have to, ethics is a great place to start because everyone has thoughts about ethics, but really it's just asking questions.
0: But it's more about what happens in the discussion, would you say that's right?
1: Yeah, I think uh something that's important in, in teaching philosophy, at least from where I stand, is being able to anchor the discussion occasionally to find something and go, okay, what you just expressed, mm. that's consequentialism or that's non-cognitivism, you know, and, and then right. that gives us a basis in right. uh in philosophy. Because it is all philosophy that that we're talking and you don't have to know necessarily what it is, but that can help you to explore it more if you know what it is. And then uh, it can help you open your mind to different perspectives, right? If you don't know what the name of what you're thinking about is, if you're thinking you know, how do I know that the world that I'm seeing around me is real and that I'm not in a dream? Yeah. That's a pretty long sentence to type into yeah. Google, right? Yeah. But if you know that that's, you know, uh, say Cartesian skepticism, yeah, then you can dive into that and do a lot of thought and research. But yeah, generally, it's about uh, finding what are people's instincts on things, and then maybe pushing at that or... Uh, drilling down to find, you know, why is that your instinct or is there actual basis for that or is that just something that it feels true but if you look at the arguments,
0: there's yeah. maybe not
1: a lot to it. Um, it's
0: great. So it, it probably, would you say, it helps, helps the students to define their thoughts in a way?
1: Yeah, and to think critically, critical thinking is a big part of philosophy uh, and to explore what other people might think. Yeah, so right. there's no expectation that you necessarily change your mind, uh, but there's an an openness to changing your mind. But there's also just an awareness that uh, you might think what you think because you've never considered anything else.
0: Yeah. If right. you think
1: about what's beautiful, I mean, that's not necessarily something that we all sit down and and ponder. Mm. But uh, if you do ponder it, you might come to understand maybe more of what other people think. Yeah. It's really a great way of, of engaging with the world, I think.
0: And it sounds like the sort of conversations that we all want to be part of where we can say what we think or believe without judgment, where we're heard, so to speak, and where we're, where uh, there's opportunity to hear others as well. And just yeah. to see, we don't have to agree necessarily, but just to sort of sit with it.
1: I think that's exactly right. And respectfulness and kindness is a really important part of of the club and... Uh, really, Does that always happen? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty pretty good. Occasionally I have to say, you know, uh, maybe someone might open with a sentence like, well, it's obvious that X, Y, Z. And mm-hmm. I have to say, I it might feel obvious, but, you know, in actual fact, there's a lot of different ways of approaching this. And, mm. you know, some people in this room might not think that that's obvious. Yeah, right. But in general, uh, I think we've got a really a really great group of girls and a really great uh, atmosphere that's conducive to listening to other people and being respectful uh, of of where they might be coming from, which I think is, is fantastic.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I know, and I think every time I have a conversation with you, and we've been talking quite a bit recently, but um, you always, you, it's like you wear that, type of thinking (laughs) as a hat on your head in the conversations you know just before we started we we were talking about the the recent protests in sydney and how that affected you and and even out of that conversation we both were raising questions about people and it's got to be something personal isn't it our philosophy about things it can't just be a theory it also affects us personally don't you reckon?
1: yeah it's a it's a frame or a lens through which we look at the world so everything it is going to affect us personally because if the way we under, the way we understand things is going to affect how we feel if we think that everyone has the same set of beliefs as we do and then obviously everyone doesn't make the same decisions or people people act differently it's not mm. going to make any sense you're going to be incredibly frustrated uh if you have a better understanding of what are some different approaches to the question of what is good. And you realise that not everyone has the same belief structure and it can help you make sense of things. That's the biggest part, I think, is Mm -hmm.
0: that
1: it helps you make sense of things which then can facilitate a a genuine peace and uh, warmth towards the world. You don't have to feel antagonistic like these people are I mean I'm sure some people are genuinely cruel or um you know deliberately that way but I think most mm. people are just the same as us they're just trying to get by they're trying to do the best that they can that's and right they're you're working off of a different philosophy
0: yeah, yeah just trying to make sense of things no one really knows do we
1: yeah I wish I did
0: <laughs> I wish I did I'm supposed to <laughs> um so I'm guessing in in that philosophy club, you have, you know, a whole bunch of females or those people who might, there might be some who don't identify as female, understandably. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm guessing, you know, there'd be some or the majority would identify as female. And as we said before, there would be issues in terms of people's philosophy coming from a female perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Now, please, um, I apologise for my ignorance, but I'm guessing, you know, those people who we understand as philosophers these days or that I know of, you know, to be totally honest, I I should do more research because I I can't name a female philosopher off the top of my head. I'm sorry about that. Um, But in terms of being female and uh, thinking about philosophy, yeah, what? Do you think that makes a difference?
1: I do think it makes a difference. I think all diversity makes a difference. So historically philosophy has been uh, uh, wealthy white men because yeah. those were the people who had the luxury of time, the luxury of a of a certain level of education. Of course, you don't have to have a certain level of education to think philosophically or to or to espouse philosophies, but in order to be an academic philosopher to have your work, recorded and studies you studied you had to have a certain level of privilege and that wasn't generally accessible that level of privilege wasn't accessible to uh women or to uh people of color or uh certain you know religious minorities or, or all sorts so historically there is a lot of uh bias in philosophy mm-hmm. and I think that the voices of women are really important so I I do make an effort to try and introduce some specific female philosophers uh, work in philosophy club so Susan Sontag is a great uh, female philosopher who I really love there's actually I have on my bookshelf the book of a female philosopher who is an an ex-gegs girl an old girl Eleanor Eleanor Gordon-Smith I have her book
0: she's a female philosopher I remember she, Eleanor
1: yeah she is she has no, a book called Stop Being Reasonable that. No, that's okay. Uh, the yeah. thing is, I think these days being a philosopher isn't like being, Aris- you know, Aristotle yeah, where it's, you know, that's a real job title. I think these days philosophers are all sorts of things really. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, she's uh, she's awesome and I really enjoyed her book. Great. Uh, although we haven't studied it yet in philosophy because it sort of gets to the end of it's called Stop Being Reasonable. It sort of gets to the end of a lot of philosophy and goes hang on a second is, is does any of this work so I think
0: it's <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay isn't it like when you think about it we, we can have as you say you can have ideas about the world and views about the world but do any of us really know what's going on
1: yeah and can any of us really uh convince each other through reasonable arguments through trying to reason with one another uh, yeah. to change our minds. That's sort of one yeah. of the questions she's and, asking. And I
0: think being open to that change is more important, isn't it, To rather than saying, yeah, eventually one day I'll know and, you know, then everyone can come and sit at my feet and I'll tell them what's right. Definitely. But, but actually just being open to change is a good place to be.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's humility, right? It's saying yeah. that I don't at the moment know everything I probably won't ever uh I have worked very hard to get to a point of humility because as a kid I was very sure that I knew all the right answers I remember my mum asking me in about year six why do you think that you always have the right answer and I said because if it wasn't right I wouldn't believe it like that's a yeah, <laughs> that's a yeah, level yeah. Of, of arrogance that I know I think some right thing. Think that. yeah well I'm glad that it was pointed out to me at about you know uh, <laughs> 11 or so hey, hang on a second, why do you think that you're always right? And it is hard to, you know, it's natural that we think that, or that we feel that what we think is right. It's very hard to live in a state of humility all the time and to constantly be sceptical of your instincts. Um, But I don't think that's what anyone is asking of of humans or of, you know, of philosophers. No one's saying you have to second guess everything all the time. Yeah, There is a level of pragmatism you have to live your life. Um, but at, if you can employ that humility and say, well hang on, I seem to be really yeah. leaning heavily on this belief that I have what why do I think that this is right or this mm-hmm. is wrong?
0: Yeah, and you don't it doesn't have to go into the categories of right or wrong. It's just what you believe and what gives you purpose and what gives you meaning and all those things, isn't it? Absolutely mm.
1: yeah I think I think uh, being judgmental of other people's, sense of purpose if if it's not hurting anyone um i think it's it's not great to judge other people's sense of purpose i think it's okay if, if to judge if someone thinks you know my my job in life is to really put everyone else down and get to the top well i you know i'm going to be a little judgmental of that because that's going to that's a philosophy that's going to hurt a lot of people but i used to think you know i've got this pretty sorted and If people just saw the way I saw things, you know, then we'd all be pretty good. And now I think, you know, uh, there are often times when I look at other people's belief systems and and think that seems, they seem pretty at peace, you know?
0: Yeah. No, it's good. Um, One of the things we've been talking about is the issue of consent. Yeah. um, You know, there's been a lot of talk here at school. Uh, there's been different programs. People have come in and run programs with the different year groups, and uh, I guess it's always been there, but it's it got a louder voice. Uh, not recently was it? I can't even remember when it started. About last was it last year or this year?
1: Yeah, last year. I think uh, a bit earlier than this time last year. I think
0: and, it was. Yeah, and there was a. a a woman in the eastern suburbs who shared her experience about uh, going through school and university mm-hmm. and then lots of other uh, private school girls added their stories as well, and then that sort of started quite, a, quite an avalanche of stories but also a, a wider discussion about it all. Yeah. And yeah, that
1: was... Sorry. You... There you go. I was going to
0: say that's Chanel Contos, who went to Kamala, I believe. That's right. That's right. Um, And so I thought it would be good just to talk about that for a while and also from a philosophical point of view, this idea of consent, because uh, it is something which I think is, um, well, obviously, it's very, very damaging for a lot of people, and there's a lot of power and disempowerment in it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your, well, I'm sure sure we can guess what your view is of it. (laughs) How do you think it should be approached? How do you think we can create not just better conversations about it but some change? Because, you know, I'm sure there's been this issue throughout history yeah what are we going to do to change it
1: so something that I think and and again uh well not again I don't think I've said this yet but I should uh preface this by saying I'm not an expert in anything so but I I think that if we look at something like first aid training right and in situations of emergency we really drill into society you know there's fire drills and exit signs and we have a lot of infrastructure in the world we live in that helps us to get out of situations of emergency like a fire or how to you know call triple zero if someone's having a heart attack or these sorts of things are really uh drilled into us because in moments of panic you're not thinking straight when the pressure goes up your intelligence goes down you can't reason okay well i guess that's the nearest doorway that's the nearest exit on the plane whatever right we drill this stuff in and i think uh situations of consent can be that same high pressure oh god i don't know what to do uh how do i get out of this kind of situation but there's no um there's no sort of fail safe there's no instinct that's been drilled into you of you know call triple zero or whatever whatever. because this i'm not talking about you know obviously if you're if you're kidnapped if you're pulled off the street uh you'd think you'd have the instinct to to maybe call triple zero yeah right but in a lot of situations uh it's not clear if you say no or if you're not uh explicitly consenting to something and someone is doing something to you regardless Mm. it's not clear how you are supposed to react or whether you're allowed to say you know to hit them and 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 make a run for it that kind of yeah. thing
0: and all those and if, questions going through your head like do i call the police do i call my friend do i scream yeah. do I, or I is
1: scream is this off? normal am i overreacting mm. and i think we in terms of physical interactions with other human beings there's not a lot of uh sort of explicitly saying no if if you're a kid and you know your auntie and uncle come around and your mum says you've got to you know go give them a hug whatever where you're you're not allowed to say no to that because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a part of being polite and you know these are your yeah. family members and this means a lot to them and but we don't have practice of uh no thanks i don't want that and mm-hmm. that if that if that line is crossed to reiterate and to really uh emphatically refuse something
0: yeah. uh
1: and and to know that it's okay to physically defend yourself if you are emphatically refusing and that's not being listened to. I think for me personally, I was in a lot of situations as a teenager where, or a handful of situations where uh, I said, no, no, wasn't listened to, but I hadn't been in that situation before. So I thought, well, maybe this is normal. Mm. You know, am I overreacting? This is all new. Uh, And, if, if no isn't being listened to, maybe that's because I'm being, I'm overreacting or, you know, it, it's a lot of confusion and I, I felt like something was wrong, but I didn't feel like I had the right to, uh, you know, physically really react, to elbow someone or really yeah. fight them off. Yeah. Um, and those situations had a huge impact on me. Uh, psychologically going going forward. So I wish I had, I guess I wish I had known that uh, it sounds really, really stupidly simple, but that it's okay to say no and that not just that it's okay to say no, but that you have to listen to your own instincts. Mm. I think we're not taught, uh, which I think is, you know, is, it's, that's not all bad, you know. If you if you listen to your instincts as a kid, you're going to jump off a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. And you're gonna be like, "This seems fun. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna jump off the back of the couch. That looks awesome." <laughs> uh, you know, I've babysat a lot of kids. Their instincts are wild. Um, <laughs> so I think it's it's good that we're trying to, you know, okay, that you actually have to know that that's dangerous and whatever, whatever. Mm. But then yeah. uh, to know that in certain situations, really whether something's okay or not is up to you. It's not that uh, you're misunderstanding and actually this is okay and yeah. you should just shut up. It's, you know, whether or not it's okay, if you feel that it's not okay, it's not okay.
0: But you, But it's a good point you made. Like in the situation, you you didn't know that. So you, So what did you have to rely on? And I think this goes back to, you know, even that situation about the only uncle coming over. How much yeah. does your world view... We might even call it our philosophies about the world come into that, you know, knowing like I, I agree, we can say yes, no means no, and we can have those skills and all those things. But then we've got all these other things coming in as well. Our, our yeah. belief systems come in as well. And so here you were saying, um, uh, I, you know, what do I do here? Maybe I'm overre- overreacting. So where have you got that belief from? You're feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. You say, well this is this could be overreacting, but actually you were reacting quite normally to something where you felt under threat. Yeah. You know, so you've you've learned that somewhere along the line.
1: Yeah, it's true. That's a good point. And I think that uh yeah, we don't uh have the belief that um that our instincts are valid or
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: It's a big question.
0: It's a big question, yeah. And that's I guess that's the reactive, you know, talking about reactive to a situation. And you know, there might be people who listening to this right now who've been in those situations. There might be people who haven't and but also need to be cautious, might find themselves in that situation. Mm. And so, you know, there are tools you can use to be reactive. What about pro being Proactive, being prepared beforehand. You were telling me about your boyfriend's um experience when he was at at university. Is that right? He was involved in a in a group which tried to do something to address this.
1: Yeah, so he was at, at a college at Sydney University and they adopted a program. He was part of the adopting of a program uh which I can't think of the name of it, but it was started in either Cambridge or Oxford. Uh, at universities over there. And it's essentially about uh, making these conversations explicit. Uh, So they facilitate these conversations at the beginning of the year with a new cohort of, of, you know, 17, 18-year-old boys coming to the college uh, saying, you know, "This this is what consent is. And if you are seeing a situation where someone is like a friend of yours, you know, is it looks like they may be harassing someone or or um, being pushy or the person that they're with is not consenting? Uh, call them out, you know, say something. Mm. Really, really uh, push that. Don't let that just happen. And the idea is, I think, to make that cross that boundary of okay, this is kind of awkward. This is an awkward conversation to yeah. have.
0: And it's having a. But we're all going to
1: have it. Yeah, and we're all gonna hold each other accountable. We've we've practiced this now, we've done a joking situation of, hey, stop it, you know. But now you have the vocabulary and now you know what you're looking for and you have this kind of instruction, you know, don't don't let this stuff just go under the radar. Mm. Say something, do something about it. Uh and I think, yeah, empowering people to empowering men in particular to hold each other accountable, uh, which I think is really important. I think there's a lot of group think that can kind of happen where someone comes back to school and goes, oh, yeah, I did this on the weekend and there's a lot of high fives and pats on the back and maybe a bunch of guys are there thinking, I don't know if that sounds so great, but everyone else seems to think this is great. So I guess maybe this is great. And then it all gets passed on that way.
0: Yeah, being able to name it and call it out. um, Mm. Why do you think people are afraid to say those things?
1: I think there's a number of reasons I think people are afraid to say those things. One is we don't want to think that our friends are capable of doing the wrong thing.
0: Right. Uh,
1: So if it's your friend, uh, say if you have a a really good friend who um, makes a lot of jokes about overweight people, right, and you don't want to think that your friend is a bad person, but that makes you a bit uncomfortable, and then when they make a joke about that, you sort of laugh a little bit you love your friend and you think whatever and you know no one heard the joke except you and i think it's natural that we sort of don't want to think don't want to correct our friends on their morality in those sort of ways uh another issue or another reason might be if the person is not your friend if it's a stranger you think well that's private that's a private thing that's a domestic issue you know um i don't want to get involved Mm. uh and then and then I think ultimately, there's this issue of the taboo of of sex, right? And not wanting to uh, bring it up. I know I personally, when I dealt with a lot of stuff that i couldn't I couldn't verbalize for years after it happened, because of the taboo because because the people I really wanted to talk to were my parents. But how do you admitting that something like that happened to you means bringing up that whole topic in yeah, the first exactly. place? And that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. It's really, yeah.
0: We did you fear their response? Were you worried about their response?
1: Yeah, I just had no idea what what would happen. Um, I didn't have any experience talking about that stuff with them, and I didn't know whether they I thought they would be shocked, really. I thought they mm. would be really shocked, and I didn't know what would follow that.
0: In the time that I've been here for quite a while of had a number of students come in and talk about these sort of situations, mm. saying the same thing that you said, you know, how do, I, how do I talk to my parents about these things? And there's been occasions where I've spoken to the parents on their behalf about mm. what's happened. What would you say to a, a student at the moment? Let's say someone, someone in your philosophy club was talking about this situation to you. And they said, "I really want to talk to my parents, but well, I don't know how to." What, what would you advise them?
1: I would say it doesn't it doesn't matter how. Just do it. Just just you. Your parents love you more than you realize. And if you know the worst happens and it doesn't get handled well, at least that's a barrier broken down, and you can go somewhere else from there. But in my experience things really started to change when i was able to tell my parents i was yeah, able right. to start getting the right kind of help right
0: um
1: and the way i told my parents was we were watching uh the tv was on and there was an episode of law and order special victims unit
0: right. on the
1: telly <laughs> and i basically turned to my mom and said uh that sort of thing happened to me wow. that was the the words that i used that sort yeah, of thing right. right
0: um
1: and i think you know however However you can get it out, it's not easy to get it out. It's really, really hard. That took me uh, two years. But I think if you can, maybe write it down or... But the, the real thing is, the really difficult thing, at least in my experience, is that it happened. Yeah. Because there's a big part of you, at least for me, that thinks if I can just think that was okay and I overreacted and it was fine... Then it then that will make it fine. <laughs> then mm. it will be fine. And mm. I won't but
0: like time will heal it or
1: yeah or or I'll get a different perspective or I'll mm. just get over it, you know, but I, I didn't get over it and I don't think people do. I think mm. it it hurts and it it's uh you're struggling with it because it wasn't good, you know, mm. and, and you need to be able to talk about it or Talk about it and also get access to resources, whether that's uh, a psychologist or a therapist or even just talking to your GP and finding ways that you can cope, whatever Mm. the best path is for you. That's not going to happen while you're sitting in in silence and in shame. That can't happen when you're bottling it up.
0: Was there an opportunity or did you feel um, the urge to tell your friends?
1: Uh, so my friends, I told sort of bit by bit, they knew something had happened and assumed that everything was consensual. Um, and so what I did basically was started to hint to different people to tell a version of the story that was closer to the truth. Like, you know, that thing that happened. Yeah. I didn't really, I didn't really like that. I didn't really Mm -hmm. want that necessarily. Oh, yeah. And just broach, broach the subject bit by bit to see how they would react. Um, and that did eventually that sort of took place in small pieces when I found moments. And then eventually the full thing only came out when I spoke to my parents. Mm. Um, and after that, I felt able to talk to my friends. Right. Um, but it you know, it's difficult. Uh, people don't always Take that stuff seriously. The vast yeah. majority of my friends were uh, incredible, really uh, understanding and supportive. But uh, there was one person in particular who seemed to understand and then continued to invite the personal people who had been involved to things where I was going mm-hmm. to be.
0: Mm. And
1: that was really hard. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's a couple lessons to learn from that. One is, you know, uh <laughs> you know, please don't do that to people. That's really uh yeah. if yeah. someone does disclose In something, it's it. really important. Yeah. yeah. And also just that uh it it shows who your friends are, I suppose.
0: Yeah. 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 It's a huge risk to make yourself vulnerable to people, isn't it? No matter how close you are to them. That that uh what you had to share. And I appreciate you sharing it here, Julia, but um yeah. You know it's uh it's precious it's it's very delicate and if people don't treat it properly it uh, can can do a lot of damage
1: yeah especially because so often in these situations there is no there's no video evidence there's no there's nothing you can point to and say look see i'm telling the truth mm-hmm. so it's just mm-hmm. your own account and if someone says i don't really believe you or are you sure that that happened yeah that that chips away at your account which is the only thing you have as yeah. evidence for why you're suffering so much over yeah. this so it really is important to uh to take people seriously and to take their account at face value because yeah. there's nothing else they can give you in the vast majority of cases there is no evidence that they can point to um you know there might be the circumstantial stuff you could say look I I did this and that was a reaction but but if someone says to you, are you sure, you know, yeah. is yeah. that really what happened, yeah. that can do a lot of damage.
0: The- yeah, and, and it doesn't matter, does it? Because the fact is you were uncomfortable and you, yeah. were, you, you felt violated, you know, exactly how it happened or the intensity of what happened or what happened. The, the fact is that you are now, you know, a person who needs care and support in that situation.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's a really important thing that you hit on there of, you know, it doesn't matter the the intensity of it. I think people often think, like, you know, people have been through so much worse, so I'm not going to say anything. I've actually had over the years since I... So what happened to me happened uh, uh, seven, more than seven years ago, I think, seven and a bit years ago. Um, and it took me two years to really... Uh, be able to talk about it and so there's been you know five years since then that's a long time and I've had friends a shocking amount of time after I initially told them tell me things that have happened to them that they thought didn't matter Mm. but that happened to them around the same time that stuff happened to me and in fact it took them years longer to process and to even think and they would start talking to me saying things like well, this is nothing like what happened to you, but uh, it's like <laughs> it doesn't, you know, this isn't a sliding scale of yeah. importance. It's not yeah. like you... uh
0: not a competition. You...
1: No, and, and if you're suffering because of it, there's help available. You can learn to deal with this and then you can go on and live your life. Mm. There's no point suffering with it because you think, well, other people have been through worse. Other people have always been through worse, you know? Mm. Yeah. And, and you need to, you know, put on your own oxygen mask, you know, learn to yeah. um, learn some coping mechanisms and, yeah. yeah.
0: And just finally, we talked about, this might be a harder question, talked about, you know, what you would say to the student. What advice would you give to a parent, the friend, the person who hears these stories? You said just a little while ago, you know, someone saying, "Did that, is that really what happened? saying that that's not helpful. what what would you want them not just to say, but to do? what's 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 the most helpful thing for you in your mind?
1: So I think something that's really important is acknowledging the fact that you don't want that to have happened. So when someone tells you, when someone close to you, someone that you love tells you that something bad happened to them, you don't want to believe it. It's quite natural to think, oh, God, no, come on, please, yeah. no, please yeah. let there be another explanation. Yeah. And recognise that that impulse is probably going to come and that that doesn't mean that that's fa- true or something that you should uh, follow, you know. It's it's confronting. It's, it's upsetting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to think uh, think complexly and think uh, empathetically about this this other person whether it's your child or your friend or uh to think this isn't uh you know oh I'm getting my ears pierced it's not an announcement that you process quickly and respond to it's something that you do need to I mean it, it is going to take time and emotional energy to process in the moment when someone makes a disclosure I think the most important thing is to listen to them, to ask them, have you told, you know, if you're a friend, to ask them, have you told your parents, have you told an adult about this? Mm. I think it's important for young people to know that they are not uh, the responsible for solving mm-hmm. this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to sort of support that person in finding more substantial help. Yeah. To let the person know that you love them and that your opinion of them hasn't changed—that's yeah. something yeah. really important. They
0: haven't done something wrong. I think. Yeah. It can be a lot of shame involved in this, can't there?
1: A huge amount of shame, and to to say, you know, this doesn't change how I see you, or mm-hmm. or you know, um, also to maybe be grateful or gracious for the trust. You know, that's right. something that uh, I've certainly experienced when people have disclosed things to me, and I think. I've verbalized that that you know I'm I'm so glad that you know that you can trust me that you know that this is a safe relationship and uh, but at the same time knowing that uh, that trust doesn't mean that now the problem's yours to handle you're a part of a support network but you're not uh, you're not the the buck doesn't stop with you. Yeah. I think that can be something really intimidating when someone discloses yeah. something to you is, am I now the only person who knows? And yeah. if so, am I the only person who will ever know? Is this yeah. my burden to carry? You know, it's a process of getting towards whatever it is that's going to help for them. It might be a, some sort of exercise. It might yeah. be art. It might be yeah. all sorts of things. But just being there to support them.
0: How can I walk I- with you in this?
1: Exactly, that's exactly right. Walking
0: the mile. There you go. We're talking about yeah. walking the mile.
1: That's really it. It's really, isn't it? <laughs> it's a perfect, perfect phrase to sum it up. <laughs>
0: well, good on you, Julia. Thank you very much. And seriously, I really appreciate you um telling your story and all of that as well, because I know that uh, in the conversations I've had, as I said in the past and current conversations around consent. Uh We can keep them on the cerebral level, Mm. um, but to actually talk about what's going on for us can be quite difficult. But also, uh, but uh, yeah, but thinking in terms of not just, you know, majority of females facing this issue in terms of having to say no or whatever, but also males and their part in it. As you Mm. said, what we talk about in groups, what we uh, stay silent in. Yeah. You know, all those things, extremely important. But, no, I really appreciate your input. And if anyone, any student wants to join Philosophy Club (laughs) Thursday afternoons at 3.30, is that right?
1: Yeah, or just after school, although I don't know, maybe I don't know how big the audience is. We might get overrun.
0: Oh, that's right. You never know what a parent's coming in.
1: Have to have one every day of the week to fit (laughs) everyone in. No, it's been a real pleasure and, and uh, I hope that we've helped to, you know, start some conversations. I think it's a it's a huge topic and there's so much more to say and I think everyone, you know, a lot of people want uh, to have their voices heard, you know, with yeah. friends, with family, you know.
0: That's right. Yeah, so we look forward to, to hearing voices. If you want to contact me or if you want to um, ask questions or make comments or if you want to... Um, send some comments Julia's way, you can always let me know. We're doing a series at the moment on lockdown. Poor old Julia's on lockdown. Yep. She speaks to me as <laughs> most of us. Take care, everybody. I hope you're all okay. And please, again, in this current situation, if you need some help, please call out. This is what the community is all about. We can see what we can do. We wanna walk, walk the mile with all of you. Take care and hope to see you all soon. Bye.